Let's pray together as we prepare to hear God's word. Lord, we know that it is possible for us to understand Scripture and not recognize you in our midst. We pray that as we hear your word and gather around your table today, that we might have eyes to see your presence and that we might marvel that you would choose to join us here in Brewer today. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 13 to 35. Uh, so to put this in perspective, as Luke tells the story, uh, the... Um, the Easter story that we read most Easter mornings has just happened. They've gone to the tomb, they've discovered that it's empty, um, and they know that Christ has risen from the dead. Um, so now these two uh, disciples, apostles, uh, as they're described in the story, are walking to Emmaus. They're walking uh, back away from Jerusalem. The feast of the Passover has ended, uh, and the events of Jesus' passion have gone on, and they're, they're making their way home. Uh, is where this story uh, is headed. Hear this word. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near to the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As we move into this sermon today, we're continuing a culmination of a story we started at the beginning of Lent, where God spoke the world into being. But humans, in Genesis 3, we read, decided to abide in different speech. God's speech was able to make the whole world, but Adam and Eve chose to listen to the serpent instead. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it fragmented our world. Particularly, it fragmented our relationships. Our bodies became mortal, our wills became broken. We couldn't do the good that we wanted to do and the bad things that we want to avoid, we do anyway. Our relationship with creation is broken as it works back against us when once it would have produced good fruit for us. Our relationships with others break down and our relationship with God is severed by shame and sin and guilt. We've discussed how Christ has come to save us and heal all of these broken relationships. This is what salvation looks like, Christ's ministry of reconciliation, of putting back the fragmented pieces of our world. But now we're beginning to ask the question, how can we know that this is true? The story that we've been talking about for a couple of months now, how can we know that it's true? And the answer that we got last week and continue to get this week is in looking back and encountering Christ in the present. Last week we talked about the end of the Gospel of John, well, one chapter before the end, where he tells us that, that so many more wonders and signs were done by Jesus, but he's recorded these that we might believe and that believing we might have life in Christ. We know these things are true because the scriptures tell us but today we also learn something else. That it's not merely about the truth of Scripture, but it's about Christ revealing himself to us in the present that we might know him, that we might marvel and be amazed at how he's been at work in our lives even before we recognized him. We can know that this story is true because Jesus appears to Cleopas and the other disciple because he appears to us in the life of the church particularly in the breaking of the bread. I asked one of my friends recently uh, what hymns we should sing about the walk to Emmaus, and he said, I've never been to the walk to Emmaus. I don't know anything about that. Some of you may know that this is a retreat that some people find to be life-changing and very formative. The name of the retreat derives from this story, but it's important to know that this is a story for the whole church. One of the most important stories that Luke tells Cleopas and someone else are walking along the road, and they're utterly confused about everything that's gone on. They thought that Jesus was going to redeem Israel, and then he died, and now they've gotten this confusing news from the women who said that there were angels who told them that he's alive, and so they're making their way home. Some people actually think that the other disciple walking with Cleopas might have been his wife, that this could be a couple who's traveling along the road together, and for good reason we won't go into today. They're talking about everything that's happened and trying to make sense of it all. And then this stranger that's Jesus, but they don't recognize him, shows up and starts asking them questions. Hey guys, what are y'all talking about? And immediately they stop walking 
because they can't even process that someone would not know what it is that they're talking about. Everybody is talking about it. The, all of Israel had gathered to Jerusalem for the Passover, and then the whole city had cried out for Jesus to be crucified. How could he not know what, what happened? The whole city was outside of Pilate's house, shouting, crucify him, crucify him. So they began to try to teach the teacher about what happened. They say Jesus was a prophet, mighty indeed and in word. Indeed and in word. We saw from his signs, his healing and his casting out demons, his feeding of the 5,000, all of the deeds that he did and the ways that he taught us that he was a mighty and compelling prophet. And we were hoping he would redeem Israel. We were hoping he'd be the redeemer of Israel. And when they say that, they mean we were hoping he was going to deliver us from Rome's control, that he was going to put a king over Israel again where all could be set right for our people. And now some women have told us that the tomb is empty. And some angels told us or them that Jesus is alive. And Jesus says, You foolish people, slow to heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer and to enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, Jesus, as they walk along the way, explains to them how this is exactly what was supposed to happen all along. He explains everything, the things concerning himself, as they appear in all the scriptures, which then, since the New Testament didn't exist, would have been the Old Testament, of course. As they get to the town, walking seven miles together, he acts like he's going to keep going, but they say, no, no, wait and stay with us. It's getting late. You should stay and eat with us and stay here for the night. And so he goes in. And then if we're not paying attention, we miss, in what, we miss what happens, but he comes in to the place where they're staying, and then he's the one who's blessing the food. Jesus finds himself in the place of host in someone else's house. He, the guest, becomes the host. He's not the first unexpected host that we've encountered in the last few weeks to a meal, you see, the serpent offered Adam and Eve a meal as well. A meal that it wasn't his right to give, but he offers it anyway. Eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they do it, their eyes are opened. Their eyes are opened to their own nakedness, and they hide in shame. This is their response to their eyes being open. But at this meal, where Jesus breaks bread after he blesses it, and gives it to them. He takes it and blesses it and breaks it and gives it. These four actions that are always Eucharistic, they're always indicative of communion. Cleopas and the other disciple do not respond with shame, though their eyes are open. They respond with excitement. Though once their story was for Jesus to stay because it was getting too late, they make the return trip seven miles back to Jerusalem to be back with the disciples to tell them what has happened, that they have seen the Lord, that he walked with them along the way and opened the scriptures to them. When they were talking with Jesus, they said, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. They knew the correct words. 
that they should expect a Messiah to redeem Israel, but they didn't really know what they were asking for. You see, we don't know what Jesus explained to them on the road, but one of the things that he might have said to them is that over and over again in the prophet Isaiah, the one who redeems Israel is none other than the Lord. The Redeemer of Israel is the same one that created the world, and that's why he can redeem them. If he spoke it into being, surely he can save it. In chapter 41 and 43 and 44 and 49 of Isaiah, we get this sense that God is the Redeemer of Israel. They knew that they were waiting for the Redeemer of Israel, but they did not know that God would look like Jesus. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but they did not expect him to be God. But Jesus opens the scriptures to them, that they might understand it in a way that never they had before. They already knew that Jesus was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, but they did not know that he deserved their worship, their honor, their praise. When we worship best, we combine the word with table. We join together in hearing the scriptures and then we meet the Lord at his table. Jesus was a prophet of both deed and word. They describe him. And we see that again in this story. Then in word as they walk along the road, he opens the scriptures to them that they might understand what's really going on. And then he reveals himself to them with a deed, with the breaking of bread. It may not seem like a miracle for Jesus' own disciples to recognize him. They've been with him all along anyway. They should know who he is. But to think that way is to overlook the fact that it is always a miracle when we see God. It means that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And this is what the Lord does for the people at Emmaus. One of the most beloved by some and maligned by others catchphrases that the Methodist church has produced is open hearts, open minds, open doors. I propose this morning that we begin to think about this phrase a little bit differently, that we think of them as in reference to Jesus all the way through. You see, throughout the resurrection stories, the doors are locked in the upper room and Jesus appears to the disciples anyway. Jesus makes his way through these doors and he opens their minds. It doesn't actually use that phrase as he's talking to Cleopas and the other disciple on the road. But Jesus does the same thing for the disciples in the very next passage. What happens is that Cleopas and the other disciple return to Jerusalem as quickly as they can. They get there and they tell the disciples what they've seen. And then Jesus appears to them. And he eats a little bit with them as well. And he opens the scriptures to them. And it says that he opened their minds. And as he opened their minds on the road, their hearts were on fire. They were ablaze with the knowledge that Jesus was giving them. They sensed the truth of what he had to offer. And they began to understand. But they did not recognize him. They knew it all. They'd gotten all the knowledge that they needed from the teacher, and still the answers weren't enough. They were walking along with Jesus, and they didn't even know it. So then he opens their eyes and they recognize who they are and who he is and that he had been with them all along. John says that these things were written that you may believe and that believing you may have life. That's what, how he describes the Gospels, the Scripture for us. 
But that's not enough just to know. We're called to experience the love and grace of Christ for ourselves in the fullness of community. So we pray that Christ would give us the eyes of faith, that we would have open hearts to the resurrected Lord, that we would have open minds that are willing to receive the truth that he has to offer us and that he would come to us even when our doors are locked and we're not interested in having him. The disciples on the road to Emmaus need the eyes of faith. And they receive it as Jesus breaks for them the bread after he's taken it and given thanks. And then he gives it to them. This is how they know the Lord when Jesus offers himself to them. Each week we always do communion immediately after the offering. And we do that because our sacrifice of our gifts at the table joins Christ's offering of himself as he gives himself to us and to the Lord that we might all be one pleasing sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Here at the table we find spiritual nourishment that our spiritual senses may sense and know the goodness and the grace of the Lord. We have a chance to taste and to see that the Lord is good. Having heard the word, let's now move to the deed, the miraculous deed where we find ourselves around the table, where Jesus reveals himself to us in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray together. Lord, we long to know you, to know how the truth of your story Your good news fits into our lives and fits into the story of the entire universe. We pray, Lord, that as we study scripture and as we learn together, that we might come to grow in our understanding. We pray, Lord, that as we grow in our understanding, that our hearts would be set on fire by our sense that you are with us and that you love us and that your spirit is instructing us. But Lord, we are bold enough to ask for more. We're bold enough to ask that we might know that you are in our midst that your power did not stop when you yourself were raised from the dead, but that it continues by the Spirit in the life of the church. We pray that we might know this power, both in word and in deed, as we follow after you and live as your body in the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.